Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr. And I'm Caitlin Andrzejczyk. And this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Thank you for downloading this podcast, a free service of the Endocrine Society. In this episode, Dr. Rob Lash and I talk with Dr. Al Powers about older, lower-cost insulins as a potential helpful option for patients struggling with the rising costs of insulin. Dr. Powers is the Joe C. Davis Chair in Biologic Science and Professor of Medicine, Molecular Physiology, and Biophysics at Vanderbilt University. He's also the Director of the Vanderbilt Diabetes Center and Chief of the Vanderbilt Division of Diabetes, Endocrinology, and Metabolism. And furthermore, he is a past president of the American Diabetes Association. Stay tuned. Today's interview touches on the rising costs of insulin. The Endocrine Society published a position statement on increasing insulin affordability in 2018. In this statement, the Society called for a number of policy and practice changes including greater transparency across the supply chain, training healthcare providers in using lower-cost insulins, and passing rebates along to consumers without increasing their premiums or deductibles. A link to the statement is provided in the description of this podcast episode. And now, my talk with Dr. Lash and Dr. Al Powers. Nice to have you here, Rob. Thanks, Aaron. There are a lot of people out there who are struggling with a lack of accessibility to this life-saving medication. Dr. Powers, can you help put into perspective just how big of a problem this is? So diabetes is a major problem in the United States uh, with approximately 30 million people with diabetes. About 7 million people take insulin each day. And this is a a life-saving drug. And individuals who are on insulin and don't take it or take too little of it can become quite ill. And so there have been tragic stories in the news where individuals couldn't afford their insulin because of the rising price and have rationed it or stopped it and became quite ill and even died. Dr. Powers, you can't open a newspaper or a magazine or turn on your television set without hearing about the rising cost of insulin. However, I think a lot of patients are reluctant to often discuss that aspect of insulin pricing with their physicians. Discussing your financial situation can be hard for people. Do you have any tips or tactics that doctors can use to help their patients talk about their potential problems with affording their medication? So insulin was discovered in 1921, so we're coming up on the 100-year anniversary of that. Uh, But what's happened is over the past 20 years, there's been a dramatic rise in the price of insulin, of all forms of insulin that patients take. And so this has created situations where patients and their doctors don't arrive at the right therapy or the patients don't take the amount of insulin they should because of the cost. And I think a discussion between the providers, that's physicians or nurse practitioners or physician's assistants who care for diabetes, they need to have discussions with their patients about the cost of their medications because individuals who have diabetes aren't taking just insulin. Usually they're taking a drug to lower the cholesterol, lower the blood pressure, and sometimes other medications. So the cost of medications is something that I think is part of the healthcare discussion that patients and their providers need to have. When a patient tells you that they're having trouble affording their insulin, what options can you offer them that might make a difference in their lives? So the two major forms of diabetes, type 1 diabetes, which begins usually in childhood, adolescence, or early adulthood, 
has an obligate requirement for insulin. So individuals who have that form of diabetes are best treated by the more recently developed forms of insulin, so-called insulin analogs, because that allows them to adjust their insulin as they adjust their food intake and their activity. Most individuals in the United States have type 2 diabetes. Most individuals who take insulin have type 2 diabetes. So there, I think the physicians, the providers, and the patients need to have a discussion about what's the best insulin for that person. And I think that we need to realize that now studies are showing that the older formulations of insulin in many individuals can be used and have the same outcomes as the more recently developed insulins and the more expensive insulins. I think what patients and their providers need to do is to talk about how to match the right insulin for the patient and for the patient's resources. And there are several options available. The two ones that come to mind are NPH and regular. NPH, a long-acting, regular, a short-acting form of insulin. And those have been around for more than 50 years and have been used to successfully treat diabetes very, very well. So those formulations are less in cost. They're lower in cost than the insulin analogs, more recently developed ones. And for example, some places, such as Walmart, sell the NPH and regular at a tenth of the cost of what the more recently developed insulins cost. So that's a situation to me where providers need to be aware of this options and patients need to be aware of this option that no one in the United States should be able to not afford some form of insulin. Are there any particular drawbacks to using NPH and regular? So NPH and regular are not the, the optimal drugs, an optimal forms of insulin. People who have type 1 diabetes or perhaps people who are in the hospital or people whose glucose is very labile. And that's something where the provider and the patient need to have a discussion of the benefits of that insulin and the cost of that insulin. So if you have type 1 diabetes, I think the insulin analogs are the preferred option. If you have type 2 diabetes, I think that that's a discussion the patient and the provider should have about the cost of that insulin. But if a patient with type 1 diabetes was in a jam of some kind, um, living paycheck to paycheck, unable to afford their insulin, would NPH and regular be an option for them if they didn't have access to any other insulin at Absolute, all? Absolutely. Remember, NPH and regular have been used to treat type 1 diabetes for more than 50 years. And so they're very, very good forms of insulin. And so if someone had type 1 diabetes and they couldn't afford their insulin analog, they should definitely uh, use the, the lower cost NPH and regular and can do quite well with that. Do you need a prescription to buy NPH and regular? So inpatient regular uh, in many pharmacies, I think, including Walmart, are available without a prescription. Inpatient regular are, are older insulins, and many patients and many younger physicians don't really have a lot of experience with them. What are the tips and tricks that you can pass on to people who are either using inpatient regular for the first time or are prescribing inpatient regular for the first time? Well, I think this is a place where not only do patients, but providers and organizations like the Endocrine Society have a responsibility to be able to educate the public and educate providers how to use these forms of insulin. Prior to the insulin analog's arrival on the scene uh, in the 1990s, every doctor knew how to use these forms of insulin. But as the analogs have become more common, physicians in training are not shown how to use these insulin. 
So they need to, uh, there needs to be some education around how to use these insulins. And it's really quite straightforward because they're a combination of long-acting insulin, NPH, and short-acting insulin, regular. But it requires one to more carefully adjust those insulin doses when they're eating and with physical activity. There's been uh, increased popularity of what are commonly called high-deductible insurance plans. How does that affect a person's ability to afford insulin? So while we've had a discussion about uh, people who may not be able to afford their insulin, what we're seeing is an increasing problem as the deductibles on many health plans rise. This rising cost of insulin transfer more and more cost for the insulin to patients who have health insurance. So the rising cost of insulin is affecting people at all levels of insurability or deductibility. And so many of the discussions that we've had today are applicable whether you have insurance or whether you don't have insurance or whether or not you have a high deductible or a low deductible. Again, this is something where I think providers and their patients need to have a discussion about what's the best insulin for them and how does it match their resources. And this can change over the course of the year, can't it? Right. So, sure, the deductible that people have is usually an annual deductible. So, so the discussion in January may be different than the discussion in December. You know, we don't like to change insulin from one to another during the year based solely on cost. I think the plan ought to be what are the patient's resources, what are the costs of insulin, what are the benefits of those insulin, and devise that plan and, and carry that out through the year. Now, the rising cost of insulin is affecting so many patients, and the Endocrine Society is taking an active role in helping address this issue. We work with legislators on Capitol Hill. We work with regulatory agencies such as the FDA and CMS. We are in conversations with pharmaceutical manufacturers to see what they can do to help bolster patient assistance programs. Uh, we also talk with insurance companies along the same lines. What can physicians do and what can patients do to help move this conversation forward and help our legislators address the rising cost of insulin? Well, I think we have responsibilities as physicians, and I think we have responsibilities as patients or individuals with diabetes that we should advocate in the health system the physician works in or the health system the patient's in for making sure that the right insulin is available for the right patient, acknowledging the cost of these drugs, which are quite substantial. And so I think physicians should learn how to use all forms of insulin. I think they should be comfortable talking with their patients about the challenges of paying for insulin. And I think that they should advocate in their health systems for the right insulins being on the formulary. And patients should advocate for their health plans the people who pay the bills for their health premiums. They should advocate to make sure the right thing is done. Again, I go back to matching the insulin with the patient and the patient's resources. And I think we all have to advocate for that. Can you give us a feeling for the price difference between the analogs that many patients are on right now and the cost of these lower cost NPH and regular, such as the ones you mentioned right. from So uh, it'll vary from city to city, but in most states, cities in the United States, the analog insulins will cost somewhere between $300 and $350 per bottle. That's the list price. NPH and regular at those same pharmacies will cost somewhere around $150 to $200 per bottle. And these very low-cost insulin, which are NPH and regular, which are available through Walmart, are about $25 per bottle. So almost over a tenfold difference in price for insulin. 
for insulins that are in many ways similar and could be used by people who didn't have the resources to afford the insulin they usually are prescribed. Right. The NPH and regular that's made, that's sold at Walmart, is the same NPH and regular that's sold at other pharmacies. And what's the difference between NPH and regular and these so-called analogs? So the analog insulins, some of them, they last for much longer. So, for example, NPH usually has to be given twice a day. Some of the analog insulins can be given once a day. And then uh, the regular insulin, the short-acting insulin, has to be given with each meal. There are analog insulins that act more rapidly and don't last as long that are also in the regular category. So it's a matter of timing of how long insulin lasts and how long it has to be given in reference to a meal or activity. So a unit of an older insulin works as well as a unit of a newer insulin. It just works over a different time frame. Exactly. How often are you finding in your own practice that you're prescribing NPH and regular? Well, I have a conversation with patients about that. Uh, in, again, going back to individuals who have type 1 diabetes, I rarely treat those individuals with NPH or regular because I think the analog insulins uh, have better outcomes and fit into the patient's lifestyle better. In individuals who have type 2 diabetes, some of them also benefit from the insulin analogs but if cost is an issue, then I will have that discussion with them because it's more important for them to take insulin, and anybody that rations their insulin or emits doses of insulin will harm their health. Can you talk just for a minute about the time 20 years ago when the analogs first came out as you were thinking about that transition? How did people feel about the newer insulins back then? Well, so the newer insulins have a number of advantages. When one looks at the way that they're absorbed once they're injected, how long they last, their safety profile, there are advantages to the older insulin. But I think, again, trying to have the patient and the insulin matched is important. There are some people that need those properties of the newer insulin, especially the people who have type 1 diabetes or maybe in the hospital, that the better treatment is these new types of insulin. It's just that as we've used these insulins for now more than two decades, we realize that in some individuals, the advantages of the newer insulins are not so great, while the cost is much, much greater. So in some ways, it might be like antibiotics, where for many infections, a new antibiotic is the ideal choice, but an older antibiotic still may work. Sure. There's no doubt that insulin works, uh, the older insulin works in anyone who has diabetes who needs insulin. And in some individuals, the older insulin works just as well as the newer insulin. Any last minute thoughts to either your fellow endocrinologists or to patients who might be listening today about insulin and particularly insulin in people who don't have resources to afford it? Well, I think this is something where providers and patients need to have discussions because it's not that the provider wants the patient to be able to take the medications that he or she is prescribed. And so I think a discussion about the cost is really important and what are the resources that the patient has to pay for that. I also think there's a responsibility of insurers and health plans to talk to their patients, to talk to their providers, to make sure that we match the insulin to the patient and the patient's resources. So, Dr. Powers, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to have this conversation with us. And, Aaron, I can't thank you enough for letting me be part of today's podcast. 
I just wanted to let our listeners know that the Endocrine Society has a position statement on insulin and affordability on our website. It's a thoughtful document that has been vetted by not only our policy experts, but by um, dozens of physicians who have had a chance to review it. So you can go to endocrine.org and find our insulin affordability document, I hope, quite easily. If I could just add, I think that that's really important, uh, and I would encourage people to look at this document because it shows the many different things that are being done to have both long-term and short-term solutions to the insulin affordability problem. Excellent. And for our listeners, we will make that link active in the show's description. You can go there at endocrine.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And I do want to thank Dr. Lash. Thank you for joining us today as a host with me. I really do appreciate your insights and questions you were asking Dr. Powers. And Dr. Powers, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today as well. Great to be here. Thanks, Aaron. There are many patient assistance programs available to those who lack health insurance or prescription drug coverage. A list of available programs can be found on the Endocrine Society's patient education site, the Hormone Health Network. A link is provided in the description of this podcast episode. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Endocrine News Podcast. To learn more, visit www.endocrine.org slash podcast. There, you can find this episode and some helpful links. You can subscribe to Endocrine News Podcasts on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.